welcome to Side Alpha Leadership, a podcast where leaders can share their experiences and discuss what leadership means to them. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Welcome to Side Alpha Leadership. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Today we're going to be talking about mentoring and mentorship, and I'm fortunate to have a good friend of mine, uh, Sam Villani, who I work with. Um, Sam is a station captain at his uh, fire department in uh, the Washington metropolitan area, and uh, without uh, putting words in Sam's mouth, Sam, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us a little bit of background, you know, where you came from prior to the fire service and, and, uh, and then where you are today. Uh, well, um, yeah, my name's Sam Villani. I'm a, a third-generation firefighter from um, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and uh, I've been... I came to Montgomery County for for the opportunity, the educational opportunities. When I was in high school, there was this program, uh, this uh, living program in the, the department that I uh, work for um, in that county's agency, and uh, it was a very active program. It was so active that it was hard to get in the like the primo firehouses because they didn't have any room. So I ended up at a uh, a satellite firehouse to one of the busiest uh, firehouses in that in that county. Um, went through my college education there and then uh between the end of college and the beginning of my career in the fire service i volunteered uh both in prince george's and montgomery counties and i ended up with this opportunity to uh, be a public school teacher and taught uh, with a program called teach for america in their 98 core and taught in dc public for uh, two years this was my second year when i got hired uh, on as a career firefighter so i've been doing that for 20 years now uh, the career fire department and uh, been a station captain for two years and before that I was in charge of our recruit training program for two years um, and before that I was a lieutenant at both uh, at, at, at two pretty busy firehouses and uh, one I was uh, did a lot of tower ladder duty and the other I did a lot of engine company duty so um, I like to think I have a pretty good background uh, and definitely being at you know feeling at the 20 year mark starting to feel like the old like the old senior guy <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about mentor, mentoring, mentorship, um, and some quick. Uh, I did a quick uh, search for the definition, just a rough definition of mentor. Basically, what it is is uh, one who teaches or gives help uh, and advice to a lesser experienced person. And then in parentheses, it said someone that's younger. But in the fire service, we're finding that you are getting people that are coming into the fire service that aren't these young 18-year-olds anymore. You know, we got 30-year-olds that are coming into the fire service, and then we actually have uh, lieutenants and captains that may be in their late 20s. Um, so the idea that a somebody that you mentor is younger than you is, is not necessarily true when it comes to um, the fire service, you know, in, in the military, you know, you have a certain age that you can you can uh, join the military, and then after that, um, there's a cutoff. So we really don't have an age requirement in our county. So one of the key uh, words in the definition was teaches, and you and I are both uh, state certified instructors, and uh, we have both taught at the training academy. You held a position as the uh, the training captain at the training academy in charge of the recruits and uh, i know we saw a wide variety of of people that came through from from all uh races and and uh nationalities and uh male and female so uh i know that to be able to um 
to figure out how to mentor somebody, you know, there's got to be an ingredient. I don't think there's like a, 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 a magic bullet, but um, how how does one or how do you feel that one would become a mentor? You know, is it a formal or an informal process? How how do you decide that you know what I'm going to mentor that guy or girl? Or, or how does it how does it work for you? Well, I think it happens organically, and I think it happens because, um, at least in my experience, it seems like it happens uh, organically between between obviously you and, and the person you're mentoring, and I think it's because they see things in you. Uh, that they want to carry on as as um, attributes as leaders, and uh, I, again, I've been fortunate to be at, at uh, very good, very busy firehouses with uh, people who are pretty experienced, and uh, also with people who don't have a lot of experience but that are constantly striving to get more experience and learn more. Um, I've I've been fortunate enough to mentor people who literally were like sponges; they just absorbed everything, and they took um, they took what worked for them. Uh, for me and applied it to what, what 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 they do and obviously there's some things because we're all different that don't necessarily work out for um, every person in every situation every assignment but uh, I'd like to think that I uh, you know I've always been one of these uh, pretty uh, exercise of a great degree of humility in my position and uh, I still help lift the cot I still carry help carry the bags I still help carry clean the rigs uh, I don't spend a lot of time in the office. I spend, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm sure my my, you went to my firehouse. They'd ask if you asked them how much time they spend in the office, they would probably tell you none, because they very rarely catch me in the office. Uh, I only I only go in the office to counsel, if something goes uh, sideways, or um, if we, when we have to give our uh, we give an annual appraisal, I'll go in the office for that, or if we have a situation where a sensitive matters come up, which you know obviously with with personnel. Things do come up from time to time, but other than that, I'm I'm a I'm a kitchen officer. I, I like to stay uh, I like to stay in the in the um, in the mix with the, with the uh, folks on the floor, and I feel like <clears throat> even that provides a unique mentoring opportunity for my my youngest guys because uh, you know I'm fielding phone calls, and emails, talking to senior guys about different things, and uh, they pick up on that. And one of my junior guys has actually mentioned it. It's like I've learned more from you than I have in the past because you're you're present. You're not you're not held, you're not holed up in the office. So uh, that brings me to you know I just jotted down a quick note um, so I don't forget. But be, I guess being approachable, uh, being uh, humble, and you know not exuding that I know everything because I'm the captain type attitude, and that you have the opportunity that you're willing to learn from other people. But I think being approachable and accessible. Uh, to your people, I guess, would start to make them feel a little more comfortable where they would feel that they could approach you in private saying, hey, I got a question for you. H- how would you do this? What would you do that? Would you say that that's how that whole mentoring thing starts when you actually, maybe it's initiated from the firefighter or or the master firefighter who aspires to be uh, higher rank would actually come to you and show you that they are interested and I'd like to have your help, even though they don't say, I want you to mentor me. It's kind of one of those, like you say, organic, like, okay, I'm picking up what you're laying down and I'm going to give you the advice. And then they, maybe they feel they can come to you after that. Would you say that that's kind of how it works? Yeah, it all, it all definitely starts, um, you know, rather uh, informally. And certainly uh, I'll give you a most recent example. I have a guy that's on the list to be promoted um, who's on the bubble. And, you know, so what that means is it, 
our, our, our department's promotional process, uh, the lists are good for two years. Eligibility lists are good for two years. And then you have to retest. So he's going to have to study uh, <clears throat> for the next round, but in hopes that he'll be promoted before that list closes out. But uh, that, that firefighter, I've, um, when he rides uh, in our rotation, when he ends up riding the line on, on my engine company, uh, I ride the line and he rides the front seat. And um, so that all started literally from uh, when I first got there, uh, uh, close to two years ago, in talking to uh, all the firefighters, finding out where they were, what, what their aspirations were and that kind of stuff. And um, I told this firefighter, I said, hey, when, the, when you're ready, let's start doing some stuff to prepare you. You know, not only for if you have to take the test again, but hopefully for when you get promoted. And uh, he actually asked me before I even came up with the idea that I was going to, we were going to do that anyway, but I was going to wait a little while. But he asked, hey, you know, this is a year out. Can we, can we start doing this? Absolutely. And he was worried I was going to say no. And I was like, no, man, I'm, I'm a, you know, as long as it's going out the front door and has lights and sirens on it, I'm happy to go out and, uh, and be, be on it. And um, it's really nice because, you know, if if I'm riding the line and I've got a, a, a person I'm mentoring riding in the front seat, I'm right there. Uh, and I know actually I'm very fortunate. This guy's very, has a lot of experience from outside our department. He's a younger guy, but uh, very smart, very on his feet. And, um, there's been a couple times where we had a whole 24 hours. We ran like 20 runs and he's like, uh, I didn't hear you. Have, you didn't have any feedback for me. And I, 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 he didn't need any. I told him, I said, look, man, you know, I, I, when, when things, Things be, when there's a challenge, or you know, I'm not obviously I would not let this person mess up uh, intentionally. But if they're doing a great job, I, I don't. You, there's no reason for you to say something. You know, um, yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, you know, it's to that person's credit. If they're doing a great job, uh, there's no real reason to interject. Sometimes just being present, I think, helps them along a little bit. I think that uh, a lot of people look for that uh, uh, affirmation that, you know, hey, doing a good job, keep going. Something something along those lines. And I've said it all along. I would much rather get a pat on the back from my uh, subordinates or from my superiors telling me, man, man you, you're doing a hell of a job, as opposed to put me up on stage and pinning a medal to my chest. I could care less about that. It's more of I'd rather somebody tell me I'm doing a good job. It means a lot more coming from people on the floor. So being approachable, I think, and, and, and accountable um, and being available, uh, visible, uh, these are all things that that I've heard our people in the field say. You know, I wish our bosses were a little more of uh, visible, a little more approachable. Um, it takes that apprehension away to where, hey, Cap, can can I talk to you for a second? Or, hey, I got a question for you. And when you give them that answer back, then they realize that this is somebody I can go to. And I guess you kind of feel that uh, you know what, this is somebody that that's they're taking their time, they're taking the initiative, and that's the biggest thing, is if somebody takes the initiative to want to better themselves, I'm all in to help those people. Even when I was a station captain, I wouldn't go to somebody saying, hey, if you want to get your Fire 3 status, you got to get checked out to drive the engine. They know that they need to get checked out to drive the engine in order to get their Fire 3 status, but I'm not going to pursue you for it. It's your money. But if you come to me and say, I really want to get checked out to drive the engine, what do I got to do? I'll do whatever. I'm all in to help that person, but you got to start off by helping yourself. That's kind of the way I've always taken it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this initiative is a huge thing. And, um, you know, another recent example uh, that talking about initiative, our our last, um, my last probationary employee, um, guy shows up, shows up to work, works hard, 
didn't have like a base set of skills uh, that were relevant to the fire service. So um, he he demonstrated the the desire to to do better, and he had the initiative. And um, <clears throat> you know, we my my senior firefighters, my my driver, and I all all agree. It's like you know, he was definitely a challenging probationary employee, but uh, he tried. I mean, to to you know. And asked a lot of questions, and uh, but in the beginning, the initiative part wasn't necessarily fully there. He he knew he knew to show up early, he knew to work hard, but he didn't know, for example, early in on his career. Hey, if I'm riding uh, eight on the ambulance, the first thing I need to do is check to make sure the passenger compartment, uh, the uh, patient compartment's clean, make sure everything's stocked. If the rig's dirty, clean it. All that stuff. He didn't know he could even do that. He was afraid because nobody said, "Hey, listen, when you're aid." You know, these are the things you can do. This is this is the stuff it says you have to do in the book. This is the stuff you're expected to do on the job, especially in, in the battalion we work in and the area we work in. There's still a lot of tradition and pride, um, and it's definitely reflected in the rigs and the in the way the folks respond and react to, to incidents. So we, we basically had to teach them initiative, and, and it's teachable. You know, they say, oh, well, you know, a leader's born. Um, you know, I, I don't, a leader's definitely not born. Somebody with those qualities... They might be. They might have those qualities from from their upbringing, but um, I certainly wasn't born to be, uh, you know, a leader. I, I didn't know, you know, for one one early in my career, I didn't want to be a leader. I wanted to drive the drive the fire truck. I didn't want to do any anything but be a, a driver. I mean, and uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, right. I had enough people say, "Hey, listen, you need to think about this." And and I I developed my leadership through my mentors and through um, you know they gave me the skills that I needed needed to do that for sure. I know that, uh, you know, a couple of books that I've read, you know, they talk about, you know, Extreme Ownership, which was written by uh, uh, Willink and uh, in the Dichotomy of Leadership. And they talk about, you know, your ownership. And one of the biggest things that, that he talks about that I've taken away from that I've, I've always subscribed to this, uh, not the way he put it, but the way that I've always looked at it. His thing is, is that if you, if your people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, it's your fault for not explaining to them correctly on what you want done. It's all about giving your expectations. Now, I've always said, I've, I've made my, my line real straight. I said, if your firefighters suck, it's the officer's fault. And if the officer sucks, it's the battalion chief's fault. And if the battalion chief sucks, it's the duty chief's fault. And if the duty chief sucks, it's the ops chief's fault. And all the way up, if the ops chief's not good, it's the fire chief's fault. And it's, it's a straight line um, because somewhere along the line, the expectations or the explanation wasn't given that this is what I want you to do. Um, so I think that if we do a better job of explaining the why, um, which is where we kind of lack in the fire service, we're, we're not at that, you're going to do it because I told you to type thing. I want you to do this and this is why. They get it. And then that's a lesson that's learned and it's put in their Rolodex. Now, if you have to keep explaining somebody the same thing over and over again, then something's wrong with that person. But if they're not checking the ambulance out like they're supposed to, then the expectations probably weren't relayed to them that they understood. Um, and that's on us as officers. So being officers, it's, it's, uh, we have a huge responsibility to make sure that our people are on point. And, and it's, it starts with us making sure that they do what they need to do. Um, so yeah, having somebody that has no fire experience, fire service experience, all they know is what they came out of the academy with, and we all know that we teach a certain way at the academy, but we can't teach all the ways at the academy because the academy would be two years long. So they come to the fire department and they expect to get those 
minute details of of uh, the fire service and life in the fire service and what the expectations are, and, and that's I think it's paramount if you want your people to perform correctly. So, who changing gears a little bit? Who were your mentors, and how did they help you? So, when you came into the fire service, or even before you started as a volunteer, I know you started out in in, uh, in Ocean City, Maryland, and uh, and you progressed forward. So, who were some of your mentors, and how did they help you? My uh, my first mentors. Well, I had an informal mentor in my father because I, I watched you know literally from as as far back as I can remember. My father going to fires, coming back home smelling like smoke. Um, you know, he informally mentored me uh, a, a lot, certainly just seeing him. I, when I was a kid, really little, I'd be riding with him and his, uh, his old Jeep, and the fire whistle would blow, and we'd shoot down to the headquarters firehouse, get out, and he'd put me in the, um, in the, he- the at the time, the heavy rescue squad was a cab over Ford and had a bench seat for the officer, and, and there, literally there was a spot in the middle, <laughs> and he'd throw me up in there and down the road we'd go. So I actually got to see him operate on some fires, and... Um, Actually, I remember he came out once, and he was bloody, and had blood all over his hands. And that's back when they used to vent windows with their helmets. You know, this is the late 70s. And uh, he had cut his hand venting a window on a high-rise fire. So um, the, the pyramid condominiums, as a matter of fact, I'll remember, never forget it. Mm. it scared it scared me to death, but I knew, you know, uh, you, kind of, you kind of get to know just by talking, seeing your... Uh, seeing, uh, seeing him act on, on calls and then other people telling me that he was very aggressive... And very hard working. So I had those going for me right away. But then I had some guys when I became a cadet firefighter who were um, newer firefighters, you know, late teens, early 20s uh, guys who um, were really big into uh, the FDNY, really big into buffing jobs, really big into um, knowing your apparatus, uh, staying at the firehouse, jumping calls, you know, the old border patrol thing, you know, getting close to the other response district and uh, and listening like to our neighboring jurisdictions, and literally we'd go buff their calls, and sometimes we'd show up and they'd be handing us hose lines, which was crazy, but um, <laughs> that happened more than once. But I, I got my my love and my my you know the, the the zeal and the love for the fire service from those guys for sure, and uh, they were really aggressive. They had you know the they they had a lot of the show, you know, the leather helmets and the newest tools and everything, but mm-hmm. but they also had a lot of the go. They knew how to actually put that stuff into service, and there was a why behind behind all of it and uh so those were my initial mentors for sure Mm -hmm. but that's that's good that 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 somebody back then would think about putting the why behind the things that they do as opposed to just emulate and and mimic what i do and it it ends up being like well why'd you break that window i don't know you know yeah you know why why are you searching that way or why why are you using the hose line that way i don't know because they said i had to do it that way yeah so I, i think Having that why, that explanation really hits home. So moving forward, uh, out of out of being a volunteer, obviously you went to college. You you were part of the live-in program in, in the county that you work in now. So who who'd you uh, hook up with then? And <clears throat> probably one of the biggest. I had a whole bunch of like informal mentors that nec- weren't necessarily more. I think they're more like young life coaches uh, than they were uh, mentoring me on the fire ground. Um, <laughs> Probably got my interest sparked in motorcycles and tattoos and all that stuff from a couple guys on Sea uh, Shift at the firehouse I was on. Um, this guy Chuck Pemberton, who I'm, I know you know mm-hmm. very well, mm-hmm. um, he was definitely one of the guys that uh, got me tuned into the counterculture and the whole like relationship between firefighters and like a lot of the other uh, high risk um, social activities. You know, riding motorcycles and carrying on. 
But my formal, like my most uh, influential formal mentor in the firehouse, somebody who I, I tried to emulate and even to this day, uh, is this guy uh, who retired as one of our duty chiefs, um, Andy Johnston. Mm-hmm. And he was almost like one of my, my dad in the firehouse. Um, you know, he was uh, not afraid to correct me <clears throat> when I was wrong. Um, he was not afraid to praise me when I was right. And uh, his entire shift kind of rallied behind me. And I think made me into uh, most of most of the firefighter that I am today. Uh, he, he had a very squared away shift of a very very squared away master and Mike Dud- Mike Dudrow, um, Kevin Shelto on that shift. I'm sure you remember him. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Morrissey was on that shift. Mm-hmm. There's some guys on that shift that just really uh, I thought were God's gift to the fire service, and uh, they they were. I mean, they were, and they did, but they didn't. They never. They didn't. They never showed it off. They weren't really flashy about it, whereas you know, I, from Ocean City, the guys that were that I emulated, they they were great at what they did, but they also had that kind of like um, traditional thing. You know, uh, everybody had leather helmets and everybody had long coats, and some of these guys on these shifts uh, at twenty eight, they wore the the standard issue equipment, but some of the best firefighters I ever worked with. You know, um, but and yeah, Andy Johnston, he was the lieutenant there at twenty eight the firehouse was at and uh he was just a he could even me out from like the corruption that c shift uh put in me but by the time it came back around the b shift he could fight some of it but um he kept me uh really forward thinking about my studies uh he made sure that i was put my studies first and um i just saw the way he was with his with his uh, subordinates with his firefighters and his his senior firefighter, I was like, I want to, that's how I want to be. Um, he never pounded on his chest, not a bit. He was, he was probably one of, some, one of the most humble firefighters I've ever met, and, and uh, but very intelligent. He was a Maryland, uh, a Maryland alum as well, so he was very um, encouraging me transferring to Maryland once I finished my two years schooling. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, he was definitely the guy. And some of those lessons that you learned from, from him, you carry today and try to push that out as well. So that's a sign of, of a good mentor is that, uh, you know, through the test of time, the things that they told you still stand. Um, there are, you know, there's people that, that I, you know, considered really good mentors and that, that I wanted to emulate and, and, and do what they did and thought that was the cool thing to do. And then as you get a little older, it's like, wow, that's kind of stupid. I probably shouldn't have done some stuff like that. <laughs> but the good thing is, is that when you learn things like that and you say, don't do what I did, you know, back then, you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, the, the joke is that they, oh, Dave, I want to be like you. I said, don't be like me. I said, be like you because you don't want to make the mistakes that I made. <laughs> learn from the mistakes that I made and then don't do that. But, um, yeah, that that's a good... Uh, um, barometer of, of of how well you or what you learn from somebody if it still stands the test of time as as good practices, um, and then I know that uh, you know you became lieutenant and then you were on day work um, as a lieutenant so you got to ride fire engines like every day, um, engines truck rescue squad um, that had to help you out especially having a, an assigned station and not having to float all over the place. Um, when you got promoted to captain, um, did you go right to the academy when you got promoted to captain, or did you were you somewhere and then you went to the? Academy? I was like in my third or fourth month of floating, and I got approached um, right when uh, the training captain came out of there. Got approached for that position, mm-hmm. and I said, "Yeah, I'd definitely love to do that." And at the time, and I think it's still this way. Actually, the academy there's a. An in-service training captain, an EMS captain uh, in charge of the EMS side of things, and then the 
the captain's pretty much in charge of recruit training, but they're not, it all just is captain training academy. Right. So, um, I think they knew what they were doing. I didn't know. Right. But, uh, they put me in, in that spot and I sat in that spot for like a month and, uh, one of my mentors, um, you know, certainly yourself and, and uh, this guy are probably two of my uh, hugest influences on the job these days, um, Kelvin Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, Chief Thomas. He actually asked me um, if I would consider the uh, recruit training spot. And he said, you know, look, even even to get us up and spinning until we find somebody to put in there, because they just didn't want to put anybody in that spot, um, if you would do that, and then you can go back to training if you want. But I think he knew, you know, he knew what I was going to you know, I'd get in there and, and start digging at it and be like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. So, yeah, and, and then I ended up um, in that recruit training spot. So I wasn't a captain for, I think, three months before I was at the training academy. I, I, I had a really a float assignment I wasn't happy with. Um, going from being a float lieutenant, uh, which I had been earlier in my career, to a float captain, it seemed like I was going back or I was going backwards because I wasn't, you know, I went from – being a lieutenant at two, two, two firehouses or two assignments where I was given a lot of leeway to do the, what what I felt needed to be done at the company level. Right. And uh, going to that, to going back to being, quote unquote, the substitute teacher. Sure. And uh, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> so when the training academy uh, position became available, I jumped right on it. Yeah, I know that's a, it's a, it is a thankless position, but it's rewarding at the same time where you can see the the students that come into the academy fresh and then leave, you know, that make it through the training academy, you know, decent. So there's a reward there, but I know that it's a thankless position because there's so much time, energy, um, paperwork, admin <laughs> part, part of it. Um, you're not riding fire engines. You're doing everything you can to make that program successful on top of dealing with, you know, the uh, the cadre that comes up through there, me included, uh, of teaching and making sure that everything is done consistently because firefighters have their way of doing things. Uh, but when we teach at the academy, we have to be consistent in what we do. So we constantly getting the reminders of, hey, if you're not sure how a skill is done, look at the manual uh, type thing. So you were, you were kind of a police officer as well as <laughs> as a uh, as the the um, the, uh, the 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 father or whatever however you want to look at the father figure of hey really? we, need, we need to make sure that this gets done correctly so we are turning out the um the best recruits that we can um so i know that that it's an unsung uh, position but it's a necessary position i know you did that for a handful of recruit classes before you uh went out into the field at your current assignment mm-hmm. um which ironically is where i started as a firefighter <laughs> uh, of course we were at the firehouse that was across the street which was the, the real firehouse um but uh i had a lot of you know mentors that were there that shaped me to where i am today but uh it's a good assignment. It's like, uh, you know, coming from, from the country-ish area of the county to the big city, you know, is what it felt like um, right. was was kind of an eye-opener. So um, moving forward, who or, or have you had a chance? You said you've had an opportunity to mentor, uh, you know, a couple of people. Um, what are some of the rewards that you get out of that? And are they necessarily on your shift or is it just people, acquaintances that you've seen coming up through and you see that they're kind of moving forward and, and you want to try to give them a little push and if they're receptive, receptive to it, then, you know, how, how's that working out? Well, yeah. Um, so a guy that I know you're going to have on this podcast at some point here in this, in the near future, uh, um, Dave Braun, mm-hmm. 
when I, my lieutenant, when I became a, went from a day work lieutenant to a shift work lieutenant, I went to a pretty busy firehouse with a good group of folks. And um, Dave Braun was there uh, as, a, as one of the firefighters, and he was just starting to, his engine driver process. And um, he's one of those sponges. He's one of those guys that uh, once he started hanging out with um, myself, uh, Derek Buckley, Mike Murphy, um, Matt Adams, uh, Sean Hall, uh, Franco Martinez. Uh, I can't believe I didn't mention him first. Of course, he's uh, his bushy tail's at least as big as mine, if not bigger. <laughs> But um, we would like literally, in, you know, it was a busy firehouse, and in between runs, we'd be listening to to uh, FDNY podcasts and buffing jobs and um, up there and like just talking about uh, the fire service and, and our department, and talking about our neighboring departments. Uh, we'd listen to every working fire that we anything we could tune in, we'd listen to, and um, I just saw that he had that he had the bug and um, was able to kind of informally mentor him through, even though I wasn't his driver's trainer. Uh, through that process, and then he also saw my uh, all the things I was doing at the training academy, and expressed interest in that. And now here, uh, you know, it's been that's been like almost six years. And uh, fast forward that that amount of time, and Dave's now a lieutenant um, who is an instructor at our training academy. And I'd like to think I, I have a little bit to do with that. And uh, I think a lot of it was he, he'd see what I was doing, and I talk about it, you know. Um, he'd ask me questions. He'd ask me the right questions before I could even give him the right answers. And I always thought that was impressive. And I think that came probably from Dave's um, military background in the Marine Corps. Like he just knew, he knew where to position himself and he knew how to ask things or he knew what to look for um, in the right way to, to find out his, to get his style down, you know? Right. And um, I actually got the most recently this past fall, um, I co mentored him through uh, the last bit of his instructorship, which was kind of cool. Um, but uh, like I told him, I, you know, like I tell a lot of the folks that I work with, you know, it, it almost feels like I didn't have to mentor him. And part of that is because I put myself out there so much. I think it's easy for them to pick up on my style. It's easy for them to pick up on, on things that I do without me even having to tell them. And then they just do it, and you're like, "Wow, man, that's pretty awesome." Right? So, yeah, I know. I'll, I'll have Dave on here. Him and I've talked uh, several times, and I like working with Dave. Um, <laughs> um, I, when I met Dave, unfortunately, it wasn't on the best of circumstances, and and uh, um, kind of followed him after that. And uh, I, I know I touched <clears> base with you at the time when you were the lieutenant at that station. You know, just always follow back up. How's Dave doing? And when I'd see him on calls, how's things going? And and uh, I think that he kind of picked up that I was, you know. I was engaged and, and, and uh, cared about the direction he was going to go. He seemed to me, you know, I try to say that I'm a decent judge of character. He seemed to me that it was somebody that wanted to do the right thing and wanted to, to further him, to be the best in the career that he could. Um, I just think he needed a little bit of, uh, um, like, hands on shoulders and, and, and maneuver him in that direction. And I think you know, your shift... Uh, at at um, at your station was able to do that, and and it was really enjoyable for me to actually watch him uh, move forward. You know, through the fire service, and uh, you know, he came up to my volunteer house when we talked when he was taking the promotional exam. Him and like uh, thirty other people came up and and uh, kind of went over the assessment center and how it works, and you know, things that I do every every assessment every uh, um, promotional exam. Um, and, uh, he was really engaged and, and, uh, I liked watching him, uh, uh, see where he ended up when he did get well qualified and he got 
promoted to master and he was like grinning from ear to ear and i think uh <laughs> from there he was promoted to lieutenant within like two months mm-hmm. and uh i think he probably sprained several facial muscles with the smile that he had <laughs> oh, yeah. when he got promoted oh, to he lieutenant. Was so excited. yeah he was so and he's Rightly doing a so. good job and and the good thing was is, is that his um um the officer that he had to shadow or his mentor officer that uh, he was assigned to um, was another good guy, a yeah. really good officer that's, that's solid. And uh, he got to run a ton of calls at that particular station. So, yeah, without me going too much into Dave, he, Dave will be on here. We're probably going to focus a little bit more on the military side of the things that he did there. Um, he's got a pretty interesting uh a career for, prior to the fire. So, oh, yeah, so. absolutely. But, yeah, it was really neat to see somebody go from where they were to where they are now. It's it's uh, it's It's got to be rewarding for even for you because you worked with him every day to see him, you know, change things and, and turn things around a little bit to his advantage. So, you know, kudos to Dave. Absolutely. Um, so as a station officer, you know, we touched on this a little bit. You know, you want to be approachable. You want to be accessible to your people. Um it's you can you know with a, sh- a shift of 10 to 12 people it would be hard to or maybe it wouldn't be you know would you find it hard to mentor 10 to 12 people at one time or is it something like you'd said it's organic where that person will kind of gravitate towards you and how do you if you're only mentoring a couple of people how do you keep it separate from the rest of the shift not thinking you're playing favorites um, is it you got to be open and honest with everybody? Hey, I'm working with these guys because this is the direction that they want to go, and it's open to everybody. Or you know, how how do you how do you uh, approach that so that your shift doesn't you know feel like you're giving them the shoulder? So when I when I took this position uh, at this firehouse, there there was uh, there were a lot of things that were done, um, not not necessarily differently, but there was a, and it wasn't favoritism. It was it was based on um, how well you performed in those requisite spots on on where you were in the rotation. And the rotation, the lineup, and all that stuff were handled at the captain's level. When I got there, um, and this is the way I've always operated, I like to give uh, my folks a lot of power um, to control the things that they can control. Because I think when you do that, A, you're informally mentoring them along. Because when there's mistakes made, you say, hey, look, you should have looked at this or whatever. And they, and they make those adjustments. But also it shows right from the get-go, hey, listen, I know, and I know I'm, everybody I, on that shift um, – I knew pretty well either from working with them uh, in prior assignments or, um, you know, actually the first recruit class that I taught, um, RC 41, three of those, uh, firefighters are now on my shift. Uh, Three of those recruits are now firefighters on my shift. Two of them just got their engine driver status. So, uh, like, and I know one of the reasons they're at one is because, because of me, because of how I was as their recruit training coordinator. I was probably the first person in that spot that wasn't, um, like big into the military decorum and yelling and carrying on. I was more of a humanist approach. I let my lieutenant be kind of like the uh, bulldog. Let him be the, let him be the is, guy that nobody wanted to he, be around, and then you come in and be like, he's yeah, a cool guy. He's a good cop, that guy's bad an cop. ass. And the great, the, great thing, the great thing about it is my lieutenant there, uh, and he's... But he's you know, got that military background. Yeah, and you So he knows how to do it. Reverse mentoring. I mean, I've, I learned so much from Adam Nichols. It's ridiculous, and I tell him that a lot. He, he knows. I mean, but he... Uh, he loved he loved being back up, so it was it was so easy. But anyway, no. So I, I get in the firehouse and I'm like, okay, um, the uh, the senior master is going to do the lineup, but he's going to be talking to the you know I have two masters on my shift. Uh, he's going to be talking to the other master firefighter when they're off. The senior fire three is going to be doing the shift. 
uh, doing the lineup. If those three people are off, the next senior firefighter is going to do the lineup. And they have a very equitable way of making sure people rotate through the, the positions because we're at a firehouse where there's not a lot of fire rotation. There's one fire engine, there's two EMS units. And um, unless you're an engine driver, and my driver actually comes to work quite a bit, so that, that the opportunity to drive the engine isn't, isn't always there. But I let I put it in their power to do that, and it corrected some of the issues. There was some animosity because, you know, there were a few uh, of people that were in the in one part of the rotation that um, are extraordinary um, firefighters knew their like know, know the area way better than I'll ever know it, and um, they were that's that was how they were rewarded. Well, I, I look at it as hey, you got to bring everybody up to that level. The only way to do that is is, is give them opportunity. And let them see by example how it's done, right? So I kind of changed some things around by that, and gave them a lot more, um, a lot more uh, control of their day. Um, how the lineups done? How what what the drills are going to be? Even the even the the, um, the morning lineup drill. Like I don't make that. They make they make them. There's a every day of the week somebody makes a different one. Um, right now we're just hard hitting really hard on streets, trying to get some of our guys tightened up on streets, but. Um, I gave them a lot of power in the firehouse and then was able to quietly make adjustments where they needed to be made. But honestly, I didn't have to make many because, I mean, they already had the example from their prior captain on how, how it's done, right? Um, but I, I knew a couple of them. I know for a fact a couple of them are going to go on to be master firefighters, lieutenants, captains. And I wanted them to have that experience right away so that they weren't playing catch up when it came time to get promoted. I know as a captain, I made mistakes and, you know, I can look back now and say, wow, I wish I really, really have done that. Um, I did uh, give the opportunity for the firefighters that were on the list to ride the front seat and I would ride behind them. Um, I felt that it was, you know, my my job to make sure that they were ready for the next level because it's a reflection on the shift. What I didn't do was allow those masters to make the riding assignments and post them. And, um, I, I always did that myself. I always say, you know, well, I'm going to do the riding assignments because if anybody has a complaint, they can come directly to me as sure. opposed to have a complaint about the riding assignments that a master does. And they're just going to grumble behind everybody's back. Um, what I should have done is empowered my masters, and I had good masters when I was yeah. at my station. Uh, my, my my last assignment as a captain, strong masters, that uh, that I should have said, hey, you know what? It's all you. You make you make the right assignments. Just make sure it's done fair and equitable. I didn't do that, and I look back on it now, and I wish I did. Um, some of that was one of the things that I wish I had changed. Um, my masters were good that I had them. They were informal mentors to me, even whether they knew it or not, because I right. learned a lot of stuff from those guys. Um, and I also uh, made sure what I did do is that they were responsible for what happened on the floor. Um, I, ultimately, as a captain, I had the full responsibility of what happened, but they were the ones that kind of tuned and tightened up things that needed to be tightened up uh, on the floor. Um so it didn't have to come to the lieutenant or the captain level. They they could take care of it right then and there. And then they would offhandedly say, oh, by the way, this is what's going on. It's been taken care of. And, and I trusted that it was done because I trusted my masters. Um, but I also recognized right away that, you know, my masters don't take a ton of leave. And they're constantly driving the engine to the tower. So I talked with them and said, you know, every now and then I'm going to put you in the bucket 
uh, in the firefighter position and allow these firefighters to drive because when they get detailed out to go drive somebody else's fire engine, I don't want them to be on the scene making mistakes or drawing blanks on how they're supposed to be pumping the line or setting the tower up because that's a reflection back on our shift and, 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 uh, and how we uh, train our people. So sure. uh, they were very receptive to that, and, and you know they were all in allowing these firefighters to get some driving time, which was good. Yeah. Um, but there were some things that I wish I would have done differently that I learned now to empower the the junior officers to and and the firefighters to take some responsibility and and do stuff. Um, now what I do, you know, in my position now, where in the morning I see the lineup, and a lot of times it'll say, you know, I'll have certain people that have to go to our medical facility to get their physicals, but there's no apparatus attached to how it's going to work. So I'll just put it out to the officers that have the affected people. Figure out how uh, you're going to get these people up there and let me know. Yeah, I think it's great. And put it back on them. And, uh, you know, hopefully they're not looking at that as like, oh, that battalion chief's lazy, doesn't want to do his job. And what I'm trying to do is get you guys to communicate, come up with a plan, make a decision, call me back and tell me what you're going to do, not ask me. Um, And if I have a problem with it, then I'll let you know. If I don't, Great, move on. I'll put it on on the on the schedule. So I want I want them to be able to make decisions. So sure. I'm learning as we go is that you know in order to build your people up, you have to kind of give them some responsibility, you allow them the latitude to make mistakes, and then go back and take a look at what they did and and, and learn from it as opposed to uh, you know making mistakes and then you know bashing them for it so they never want to make a decision again. Right. Now, I think a big part of that is owning up to your mistakes too. I've, I've you know, I'm very blessed in having the driver I have. Um, his dad was actually, as you very well know, he's on your shift at one. Yep. His dad was a driver there, and um, he knows it's ridiculous. Like, I get, I only get in the map book for my edification purposes to make sure I can still flip pages because he knows, like, one first through, like, fifth dues where the hydrants are almost. It's just crazy. as his uncanny ability to do it. And... Um, but, you know, there are times where uh, somebody else will be driving me or um, or even when he's driving me, I'll say, yeah, you know, we're going to go around the block this way or whatever, and I'll be wrong. Uh, and uh, I, I make sure that everybody knows that I, I 100% own it. And, uh, you know, I know before anybody, because it's easy, it, it'd be easy if I didn't say anything to be like, well, that, damn, I can't believe Brian made that decision, you know, driving him. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, I'll be like, no, nah, that was me. You know, it's you got to own them. And, and that's, you know, I, I think my youngest guys definitely see that. Um, they say, well, wow, he, he, you know, anytime he's wrong, he owns up to it right away. And uh, and he works he works on, on how to fix it. You know, he, he always has some kind of solution. Um, and if I don't have a solution, you know, I, I, sometimes if it's something that I'm doing that's net adversely affecting them, I'll go to them for the solution, and they always have it. Right, seems like they always have the answer. Yeah. So. They're going to give you the answer whether you want it or not. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny you say that because I remember you know when, when Chuck Early, who was my engine driver, I've known Chuck since I was a kid. Um, he's not that much older than me. We were, we were both <laughs> kind of kids when we volunteered together. Um, he was my driver. He was my master when I when I rode the engine. And uh, there'd be times I'd be looking stuff up in the map book, and I'd be like, "All right, when we come back, the maxi brakes already hit. We're here." Yeah. You know, type of thing. So he was going. Oh, that's or, the best. Oh, there's man. there's other times where I was, "Hey, Chuck, when we get up here, we're going to take a ride." He goes, "Yeah, Polly, we're not doing that." Yeah, he said, no, <laughs> yeah. "We're not going. That. We're going to come around on this way." And I'm like, "All right." And most of the time, you know, he was right. He, he knew the area. Oh he knew the God, best ways man. to come in. He knew where the hydrants were. He knew where the truck was going to come in the other way. So you know, it's having that that comfort. And then when you have somebody that doesn't have that, and you, you need to make sure you know how to use a map book because there's going to be times where where they're not going to know where they're going so 
But owning your mistakes is is a huge is huge. Um, and that'll be a whole other show in itself. Yeah, right. Just taking ownership of the things that you do and of your people. Um, so we we talked about you know you know most of the time not everybody on your shift is going to be looking for a mentor. Um, you'll I think it's one of those things you just kind of have that feeling um, by the way that they're approaching and talking to you and the way you're talking to them and they're absorbing what you're saying. Um, and then it'll probably morph into, hey, Cap, you know, I, I really want to take this next promotional exam. I'm, I'm a little nervous. And I think that's kind of like the end, the little spark. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to help you. If you want me to, I will help you. You know, and then that's kind of how it evolves into this mentorship. That's how it's always seemed to me. Yeah, it's, um, it's, somebody that's willing that wants your advice, but doesn't quite know how to ask you for it. So they'll kind of ask these leading questions. And as an officer, it's our responsibility to pick up on that. Oh yeah, because you know, if it's if that's a lost opportunity, you might lose that guy forever. Right. Yeah. It's all and and that's the whole. You bring up a really good point in listening. You know, you got You got to have your ears open, ears and eyes open. Sometimes even like you know. Off off duty problems. I can I can see those before anybody comes to me for help. Right. It, it usually manifests itself in behaviors in the in the station. Absolutely. Um, either they're extra tired, extra agitated, um, not on the not on the ball on calls. And you know, had a, a firefighter, uh, you know, not fairly recently, but let's say just just since I've been um, back in the field that I noticed a change on a call. I was like, that's not right. You know, and then I, I, I pulled him aside and said, hey, man, what's going on at home? 100%. It seems like 99.9% of the time there's a problem at, at, uh, at home. It manifests itself in the firehouse in sure. some way. It's not always their general demeanor or behavior. Sometimes it's something that you'll catch. You'll be like, oh, that's different. Then that, that would, that's not them. And you know, you know if, you, if you pay attention to your folks enough, you get to know them pretty well. Um, you know, and... and you're able. To, you just gotta. You gotta. You gotta have the fortitude to ask the question. A lot of people are afraid to ask the question. Hey, is everything okay? Right. You know, I've even had my guys approach me. You know, hey, is everything okay? And you know, and and I, you know, I, I'm very open about my personal life with my uh, with my shift. You know, I'm probably a very non-traditional in the officer role that way. But um, and I'll be like, yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's there's always something. You know, right? Absolutely. And, uh, that, that that's that brings up it, it, basically we're circling back to what you said in the beginning. You know we talked about as and if anybody the dozens of people that are listening to this uh, podcast <laughs> or the, the three or four people that are, that are listening to this podcast, if you take anything away of being an officer, you have to be engaged with your people. You have to know what's going on in the field. If you are if you're in your office with the door closed with all this. Paperwork and let's let's be honest. I've been in the fire service for 32 years as a career guy. There's not that much paperwork. <laughs> no. There's really not. Um, so if you are not engaged with your people, if you don't know what's going on, you are totally missing the mark of being an officer. And and being engaged and seeing your people every day and listening to what they're saying, hearing the the conversations that are going on around the kitchen table, knowing that you know what there's something a little off on that. I'm I'm, I'm going to have to key in and find out what's going on. Maybe it's just me, but I'm going to have to find out. Um, if you're not doing that, you are not being a good officer. You're not being good to your people. Right. Um, and a lot of times it could be a small problem that could easily man, man, manifest into something major. Um, 
the old school way of thinking was leave your problems at home and you come to work and you got to give 100% and you got to be here at work. That's not Check how it works. Check your feelings at the door. That's not, that's not how it works. Feelings is a different thing. Yeah. You, can't, you can't bring your feelings to work. Yeah. But when there are things going on at, at, at home, whether it be, you know, with, with your spouse or your kids or maybe something, uh, somebody's ill, you know, in, in your family and it's really occupying a lot of your, your time and your head, um, it may throw that person off. And as officers, we need to be the people that can uh, sit down and say, hey, is everything okay? We have to do that as an officer. And if, if you're listening to this and if you are you consider yourself an introvert, uh, somebody that just doesn't really want to sit down and talk with people, you got to really get out of your shell. You need to learn how to be able to sit down and, and make sure your people are okay because that is the number one thing that an officer has to do is you have to make sure your people are protected and, and they're taken care of. And uh, if you're not doing that, you're doing a huge injustice to your people. So it kind of circles around what we talked about. You got to be approachable. You cannot be in the office all day long. You have to participate in jails. You have to take the trash out. You have to wash the dishes. You know, you the young people are going to see you doing these things, and they're going to recognize right away. If the captain's washing the fire engine, if the captain's taking out the trash, you know, if the captain's helping sweep the floor, you know, I should be doing that too. Um, that that the the example that you're setting is what they should be picking up, and the example, oh, yeah. and, and as an officer, the example should be care for your people, and then maybe that'll, you know, peel off onto the other firefighters, and as they move forward in their career, that they got to take care of their people because we have a lot of people that are all in for themselves, and yeah. you just can't be that way. Um, so moving on, let's talk about the fire service in general, not necessarily where we work, but in general. Do you think that? We're missing the mark when it comes to mentoring. I know we've started a new program of mentoring uh, officers to be, but do you think that we should be capturing these people earlier in their career and and providing something as officers or even as senior firefighters or masters? Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems, and you know, it's if you look at like globally, look at it. Um, the baby boomer generation has pretty much retired from the fire service, and there have been it's it's gone in waves. Uh, it started when um, started when I was in maybe like my fourth or fifth year on the job. I started seeing these like mass exoduses, and I'm like, man, that's a lot of people leaving. But then you got to think, well, those folks were hired at the same time. You were born you know, like 25 years. Yeah, when Some I was of them yeah. when I was born. Yeah, and um, you know, and then it became actually when I when I got promoted to lieutenant, um, I was one of 14 promoted just off just off of the announcement. That was made for 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 not not the whole list, mm-hmm. you know. That list was exhausted like halfway through the year, or through the two year uh, process for the list. So I think what what has happened is we sped up. Like there was a there was a a, a pretty decent um, passing on of knowledge, pretty decent mentoring. Um, a lot of there there was enough. Like okay, you'd have a, a shift, and it'd be the same people for like five years, yeah. And then somebody get promoted or somebody retire, right? But shifts stayed together for a long yeah. time. And my shift was together for almost seven years, which is unheard of now. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so now, fast forward to today, it's it's so things happen so fast. And there haven't been as many um, promotions and transfers here like in the past year, but it seems like up until about well, it's even happening, you know, now, uh, there's just a lot of movement, right? A lot of people retiring, a lot of people getting promoted. Um, and I think it's sometimes we, and this is globally, so I think this is our department and everywhere else, um, sometimes it's missed. The opportunity's missed. So the, the organic thing, I think the best way for mentorship to happen is organically. It happens out of being together and you see 
this person, hey, they're doing things a certain way. I want to follow what they're doing. You end up following their coattails a little bit. And the next thing you know, they're sharing everything with you, right? But things were happening so fast that I think a lot of, a lot of the mentorship was missed. And then it became, so that was like, let's say it's year five through 10. And then year 10 through 15, it just continued. And then the 15 through 20, it became normal. So we've gone from this mass exodus, ton of new officers, some of more and more are, are, you know, have that mentality, at least in this onset that, Hey, I've got to look out for me because it almost became ultra competitive and getting, not in getting promoted. Cause if you took the test and did well, you got promoted because there were so many people leaving, but in getting different spots, different opportunities. And it became that you know, there was almost like, I, I remember like before podcasts and a lot of this, a lot of these trade shows became, um, these side bar trade shows became hot. There was a lot of, uh, you know, the what's in it for me almost became normalized. And now we're, we've kind of taken a reset or at least a step back and said, man, we can't do this. This is, this is ruining the fire service. Right. It's ruining the fire service. We missed so many mentoring opportunities. Now, I don't, I don't know how we would have fixed that because literally it had been, <laughs> you had a three-year firefighter mentoring a brand new lieutenant or something. I don't know how that would work, but there were so many people leaving and so many people moving that the opportunity for that organic transition into, into mentorship was lost across the board. So, you know, there's a lot of people pointing fingers and, and, you know, um, I even got on the kind of the bandwagon that, oh, you know, the, the head, headquarters is disconnected. But now, now that I know a lot of those folks and I know them very well, especially through my, um, my, uh, position at the training Academy, I was, I was on the phone daily with, with headquarters about something. Um, they're so busy they're, they've been they've been chocked full of so much work that it's almost impossible for them to get out. Some of them like to get out and interact. Whereas I remember when I first started on the job, not on the job, but as a, as a college living, you know, chiefs kind of rotated through on, on a regular basis to say hi or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, they weren't strangers. And, and it, I think people some of the assumptions made now are, oh well, uh, the headquarters staff they just don't want to come out. They're comfortable in their little comfy chairs and computers. It's farthest from the truth. I mean, I, I, I had a chief, um, uh, division chief, actually, uh, Gary Cooper, came out um, and had lunch with us uh, last week. And uh, he tried to do it before Christmas, but he's, his position is so busy. They've got so much going on with facilities and, and, and you know, in his, in his, in his um, support services role. Like, there's just so much going on that it's impossible. Like he literally had to find like a couple hours out of lunch and, and do it during his lunchtime to come visit. And uh, I used to think, oh, they just don't want to come see us. And now I'm like, oh, well, these folks are just, they're, <laughs> they're socked. They're busy because they've, that, you know, and I, I think this is something that people don't realize. A lot of our admin staff was cut over the years so that we'd have field uh, staff, you know? Right. And, um, you know, so basically, it's a whole other thing. Like they're they're grossly understaffed. They're working as as best as they can, but the money's got to. You know, everything is in support of operations, right? So they're going to support op. They're going to try to keep operations as intact as possible and work behind the scenes as hard as possible with the limited resources they have. I think they're. If you look at it from that perspective, I think they're doing a great job. I, I wish I could see. You know, I, I got a lot of friends up there at headquarters. I wish I could see them more often. And um, when I get to see them, it's a treat. But I also know the reason I don't see them is because they're just jammed up. Man. Yeah, they're and so I, I know, you know, from going around and talking, you know, when I work, and I, as a relief chief, you know, I only work Tuesday and Friday, but I've been doing it for seven years, so I re- I know everybody 
um, that, that are in the two battalions that, that I work through. And uh, I try to make it a point to visit every station just to come in and say, hey, what's going on? What do you know? Um, you know, any good rumors or you know, anything that, we, that might be a rumor that we can kind of exacerbate and, you know, <laughs> try, try to get a, a, a good laugh. But uh, I think it's important for uh, the people in the field to see their bosses. And, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't deny the, that, that people are busy, but uh, I do think that we need to find the time to be able to go out and talk to um, the people in the field uh, more than just on a yearly basis or on a monthly basis, but to be able to just pop in and say, hey, guys, what's going on? Yeah. You, know? um, you don't have to come in and, and, and you know, have a formal lunch or anything like that just to sit down and, hey, what's going on? You know, I know our fire chief has, has shown up to a few stations during the lineups and things like that. Um, yeah, he'll come in and he'll show up and work out. Right. And then he'll come in and, 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 and uh, you know, shoot the breeze. And a lot of it's informal and I like that. You know, he gets, you know, with the budgetary process and I, I, I that's one thing, you know, you, it's like, you know, being the chief, you know, it's like that. that's such a uh, – it used to, I think it used to be historic. Maybe a hundred years ago, people were like, "That's that person's leading from the front." Literally, they were leading the firefighters into right. the burning buildings. But now, they're putting out "quote unquote," you know, not real fires, but they're putting out fires with staffing, mm-hmm. funding, promotions. Uh, you know, that look, they're. He, I mean, I think he's do it like I forget how many different things a day, but every day his his calendar's full of stuff, and he still he does still find the time. But it's literally in these. It seems like they've got to find it in these inopportune times, times that would normally be reserved just for them, like working out. That, that's that's his thing, but he uses it to, to interact with us. Like, you know, Gary Cooper came out last week, literally ate his lunch and talked to us. Right. He knew that was the only time he was going to have to interact with us. Sure. And he did that, and I was like, I was really appreciative of it. And um, it's, it's, yeah, and that part of it's nice. And, you know, like our my, my battalion chief and you, every time I work, you, I, I know I see you at, uh, every time you're, you're in the first um, and even Chief Davis, he'll pop in, um, and it's not like he announces every time he's coming, but usually he'll say, hey, I'm coming to pick up this, or I'm coming to give this, or whatever. Uh, he'll just pop in, and we're in a hole in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our, our response district where you know it puts him out of position for some of his response area, but he'll still come down just to say hi, and, I, and that goes such a long way with the fellas. And... Uh, and he just does it just just to interact. He didn't have anything. He's not passing on anything, you know. But we always end up talking about something sure. cool. But um, it's literally, you know, he'll come in and he'll, you know, he'll throw a joke over about sports or, you know, especially, you know, one of my guys is a huge New England fan. So obviously lately it's been good fodder. <laughs> How them Patriots, you know, and it'll get them all fired up and then we'll just be talking about whatever. But, um, yeah, it's nice. So, you know, and that's that's the great thing about the battalion chief role, I think. Um, you know, and I'm obviously looking forward to being, hopefully being promoted in this cycle, um, is is that uh, the field battalion chiefs, get they have the opportunity to get out. And, I mean, that's a big part of their job is interacting with their company officers and right. making sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's okay and, you know. Hopefully recognizing issues before they, they make it up to headquarters. Absolutely. Um, I know that, um, you know, a, as – you know, coming in and talking to the, to the people. I don't like to announce when I'm coming. I just like to show because I like to see you guys in the, in in your raw form mm-hmm. of what's going on. I've never you know questioned like why are you guys still in your PT clothes. My, <laughs> my assumption is that you're still in your PT clothes because something's going on that, that, that precluded <laughs> you book, from getting dressed yet. The books um, read. The books yeah, two pages of reds I, I got, in the book I got, already. It's I got new. <laughs> no issues with what's going on because I trust my officers. Um, so we're coming down to the witching hour. Just to wrap this up real quick, you know, we had talked about you know what's 
the the firefighters from the past versus what we have now do you think that the that we're different and um, I mean, obviously, we are a little different. The, the technology is at our fingertips where it wasn't back in the day. You know, we barely had a computer when we first started. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and a lot of my officers were Vietnam-era people, um, and they're, they're not around anymore. You know, they were my, my dad's age when I came in. So are firefighters different now than they were at the past? Obviously, that's yes, um, more or less. But how do we connect? How would you connect with somebody who's new? I know... As a battalion chief, when I come into the fire station and I see somebody that I don't know, I know that they're a fairly new person. I'll go up and you know introduce myself, shake their hand, and then I'll ask them, you know, what'd you do before this? You know, you know, if they're 18 years old, probably not much. But if they're in their 20s, you know, hey, I was in the military. Oh, cool. You know, tell me about that. What did you do? You know, what kind of stuff did you do? You know, or I worked whatever, and I don't want to hear where they come from because I know that what they've done in their past may be able to something that I can use in a good way. Um, in the future where, where you may have somebody that's like, yeah, I was in the corporate world. I was an HR rep for blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. If I ever needed to know something about that particular world, that's a, a person I can talk to about it. So, you know, they have something to offer. Um, it goes back to don't ever think you're the smartest person in the room just because right? you outrank everybody. <laughs> so how, did, how will we connect with, with the new generation of firefighters that are coming in? I, it's being, it's being involved and, and, um, and, I think in being and in, in being involved, you've got to be vulnerable. I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, being a company officer, everybody likes to think, well, you got to be this big tough person, and you know, you got to walk in pretty rough, and, and you know, you don't have any problems because if you have, if they they see that you're human, God forbid, right? So I think being vulnerable and and um, like letting letting them kind of tell you things that uh, you don't know. A lot of times, especially about how their how their day to day is, you know, like God, Snapchat. Like I don't, I uh, <laughs> I tried to get on Snapchat because my shift had a Snapchat, and then I was like, I can't, I can't even keep up with this. It's just, it's too fast. Like I'm, I can text pretty well, and I, you know, I have the Twitter and the Instagram, but um, it yeah, just being vulnerable and and seeing how they interact, and um, if you talk to them about anything but the fire service, you can almost find out everything they need to everything that, that that they might be wanting to know about their job about about the fire service and um and sometimes it's very it, it, the vulnerability is as easy as you know uh ask me anything what do you what do you got man where you know i know you you just became an engine driver what's the next step what are we doing you know that kind of thing or this my guy that's on the list you know hey uh you know what's wh- what do you feel like you you need where 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 are your weaknesses right now? Where because he knows his weaknesses. I mean, and it's really with, with with him. It's there's not many, but the things that um, he wants to work on are very easily easy to work on. You know, it's all stuff we can do in the firehouse. So it's yeah. I think it's being uh, being again being present. You know, I hear this analogy a lot. Um, more more so than ever, we're we're like a dad in the firehouse, a parent in the firehouse because you know, I mean half of my shifts half my age right and uh and not that they don't have great parents but for a third of their lives they have the opportunity for somebody that's in a leadership role that's twice their age to kind of guide them along like a parent i mean i you know i have a uh, one of my firefighters in my shift um well both um martino and abdul i know they're uh, i don't know abdul's dad but i know he's, he's he comes from a solid family his, his family's like family's huge for him uh, and Martino as well. I know Martino's dad because I performed Martino's wedding uh, ceremony. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I, they both have great dads who taught them very well, and they're very prepared. Like uh, uh, they can adult very well. You know, adulting is a thing, right? Right. They can adult very well, but I also know that I have the opportunity to kind of parent them along in all things of the fire service, and I know they benefited from it because they see my vulnerability, so they'll be vulnerable, and then that kind of opens up that organic process of mentoring. So cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. Uh, you know, the biggest thing that I want to you know, pass on anybody that's listening is you know take take those opportunities to be a mentor. Look look for the uh, the openings that that uh, your your people might be giving you to become a mentor or to pass on some of the stuff that you've learned, even if it's sitting at the kitchen table and giving it to everybody at one shot, um, you know, pass on what, what you learned, be, you know, a good role model for, uh, the people that are out there and, and, and uh, you'll see that you'll have people that may gra- gravitate towards you to where you can, um, actually, you know, take them to the next level if that's what you're looking for. So, Sam, thanks for coming uh, to the show. I appreciate it. Right on, and, and, um, I'm glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. So uh, anybody, everybody that's listening out there, you can find uh, Side Alpha Leadership on Instagram. Uh, it's on Twitter as well. Uh, drop, a, drop me a note if you have a question or if you'd like to hear a, a topic talked about um, or if you just have a story that uh, has uh, uh, come up in in your life uh whether it be the fire service or whatever, and and, uh, how you tackled it uh, from a leadership standpoint. So with that, Sam, uh, again, thanks. And uh, until next month, keep on leading, guys. Right on.